Welcome to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. My name's Tammy Simon. I'm the founder of Sounds True, and I'd love to take a moment to introduce you to the Sounds True Foundation. The goal of the Sounds True Foundation is to provide access and eliminate financial barriers to transformational education and resources, such as teachings and trainings on mindfulness, emotional awareness, and self-compassion. If you'd like to learn more and join with us in our efforts, please visit SoundsTrueFoundation.org. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Aaron Falconer. Aaron is an author, digital entrepreneur, and the editor-in-chief and co-owner of Pick the Brain, one of the most trusted self-improvement communities online. She was named one of the top digital entrepreneurs in Los Angeles by Los Angeles Confidential and one of the top 10 women changing the digital landscape for good by Refinery29. Erin has a master's degree in clinical psychology and lives in Los Angeles. And with Sounds True, she's released a new book. It's called How to Break Up with Your Friends. Finding Meaning, Connection, and Boundaries in Modern Friendships. Truth be told, I felt a little nervous when I saw the title of Aaron Falconer's new book, How to Break Up with Your Friends, and that we'd be having this conversation. To me, it's such a tender topic with so much nuance. There's so much love and complexity in many of our friendships. Aaron is a terrific guide for this conversation, bringing us to what always seems like the most important thing when a tender heart is involved. Truth-telling, knowing yourself, and expressing yourself with clarity and deep listening. Here's my conversation with Aaron Falconer. Aaron, you're a Canadian who's now living in Los Angeles, and you wrote a book that was published in 2018 called How to Get SHIT Done. I'll just say it, Tammy, but okay. And uh, it was a book that was very well received, and I'd love to know a little bit of your journey, of your winding path, of mm. what took you to Los Angeles and the writing of How to Get SHIT Done. <laughs> Well, like like so many in Los Angeles, um, I'm I'm an overnight success that took 17 years, and uh, and what I mean by that is like you know so so many people that have kind of made it onto the other side, it is never or very rarely a linear journey, and so. I started out as, uh, you know, in high school and, and in my, you know, very young years being extremely type A, and I still still am to a certain degree, but very, you know, grades, 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 you know, success, 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 very studious, you know, did all the things, you know, school president, head of the debate, team, you just didn't name it, I was doing it. And um, I never really stopped to critically think about that or analyze anything. And, but one day I was driving, uh, to my best friend's house, uh, in Winnipeg and on the radio, there was an ad 
a commercial to, to, to find Canada's next funniest comedian. And something in that commercial hit me like an arrow in the heart. And when I arrived at my best friend's house, instead of doing a study session, I spent the next, you know, 45 minutes convincing her that we would do create a stand-up co comedy routine and enter this competition, much to her horror. Um, that was the first instance that I had of kind of an inner voice coming out. And of course, I hmm. didn't know what that was then, right? And so that kind of set me off. I did that. We did very well. I continued to do comedy as a side hustle for like, you know, three or four or five years after that. But I continued on my academic trajectory, right? I went to McGill, then I went to, then I applied to law school. And on the eve of going to law school, I had another kind of epiphany and said, you know, you're having so much fun doing this comedy stuff. Why don't you try writing? Long story short, uh, that's what I did in Toronto. When that didn't work well in Toronto, I said, you know, I got to give this a bigger shot. And I moved to LA and I moved to LA with the best intentions and the biggest hopes and dreams and, but with no plan. And so what life did was say, uh, hard pass. And I found myself very down and out and with no options. And I think one of the worst things that happened is that I had decided to listen to that inner voice. And I thought that inner voice had led me astray. Uh -huh. And so with no options, uh, I was having to go back to Canada. I had no money. I had uh, no career. I had no car. And my papers were up. I called, you know, I, I had one of those rom-com moments where I was like literally crying on, on the bathroom floor going like, oh my God, what happened to my life? I should be a lawyer right now. Um, and I called two mentors, two mentors that had kind of been guiding me the whole time. And I said, oh my God, I've, what have I done? This is a terrible mistake. And both of them who don't know each other said to me, well, what is that inner voice? What is your intuition telling you? What do you want to really do? And I said, well, I want to write. I want, you know, that's what I want to do, but who cares what I want to do? Look at the situation I'm in. Anyways, they both convinced me to give it another try. So I submitted a hundred, uh, I made a promise to myself. I submitted a hundred resumes on Craigslist, anything just to get any kind of job. I got one response to be a copyright, um, resistant on a self-improvement startup in 2008, which is when startups are really just starting, blogging's really just starting. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to take this job, but if I do it, I'm going to put a plan. I'm not just going to, you know, whatever, be flying by the seat of my plants. And that's kind of when my whole life started to really shift with intention and focus. Um, I found myself in the internet world. I found myself very curious about that. And I started writing for my own blog called Pick the Brain. And so it wasn't the kind of writing I moved down to Los Angeles for, but it was writing nonetheless. And I found myself in a very exciting and creative space, creative space, and was able to take that fortuitously and through some hard work very, very far. And uh, then ended up raising a lot of money for another internet company. And then all of a sudden, all this time later, I got a call from a New York lit agency saying, we'd love you to write a book. And so it kind of came full circle uh, where I found myself being pitched to write uh, and I couldn't believe it. And so um, the funny thing about that is that when I got this email, I was so excited. I was like, I came up with all these ideas, these pitches for the call, you know, to, to say, oh, can I could write about this and I could write about that. And when I got on the call and I was very excited to share my ideas, she was like, whoa, 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 whoa wait, I think there's a misunderstanding. Um, we don't want 
we love those ideas that you're talking about, but we actually want you to write a book about you. And I was so devastated. I was like, who would read this book? This, what are you talking about? Like I, you know, I, I, I thought I had all these great ideas. I got off the phone. I was very dejected. I was like, I'm not going to write a book about, you know, whatever. And the next day I went into the office and I started to look around and I have great, I had the great fortune of working with some amazing women. And I just kind of looked at how everybody was operating. And I was like, oh, I think we're suffering from the same illness. We're just going, going, going. We're never stopping to take stock of our success, how we feel about our success, where we are, how we feel about being where, where we are. There's no reflection. There's no self audit. It's just go, 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 go. And that's a real problem. And out of that, I was like, that now that's a book and I don't have all the answers, but I want to write this and figure this out as I'm writing it. Anyways, that's about a 20 minute answer to your first question, <laughs> but that it's, 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 it just kind of like it it is the creation of 17 year seven, 17 years of of trying and failing and trying and failing and 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 choosing to evolve in those failures uh rather than recoil and kind of denigrate into the the fear-based version of myself mm -hmm. now i am just uh curious about two things one do you do comedy today mm -hmm. ever you know i haven't in such a long time but that is one of my New Year's resolutions. I've been writing jokes down for a long time, but one of my New Year's resolutions, if COVID ever decides to go away, is to get is to go back on an open mic night and try and maybe workshop some new material. So your new book, uh, which sounds true, how to break up with your friends, establishing new boundaries for modern relationships. You know, it's a nonfiction prescriptive book, if mm -hmm. you will. But there were some laugh out loud moments, Aaron. <laughs> I had a couple where I was, I was like, this woman's really funny. Uh, I didn't know you did comedy. Yeah. Uh, okay. Here's my second question. When you hear your inner voice and you mm -hmm. go, ah, that's mm -hmm. it. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it stopped you from going to law right. school. It pulled mm -hmm. the emergency break. Right. How do you recognize it? Like, ah, there it is. I, this is important. This is not just more of this, you know, gab, 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 rap right. in my head. Yeah. So here's the thing. When those first kind of things happen, when I heard the commercial, you know, the ad for the comedian, when the, the, the epiphany about not going to law school, I wasn't, I didn't realize that was my inner voice at the time. I was just kind of like, hmm, something popped into my head and then I fixated on it. I was like, hmm, I can't, even if I tried to forget this, it it's keeps, you know, coming up, coming up. It's only years, years, years later when I realized, and probably the first time I really started to realize that is when I had the calls with those two mentors in those very dark days where their insistence that the truth was there and I needed to listen to that, regardless of what the reality was, this was the truth. And that I think was probably the first time that I was kind of identified that in a concrete way, like, oh, that's what that is. That I, I still, you know, it's a very, you know, magical, esoteric idea, but to be able to put maybe a little bit of a label on it and say, ah, that's the essence of who I am. And, and it's trying to push me in that direction, which is so, for me, since then, I've spent, and part of my plan when I said I was going to take this crappy copywriting job but put a plan around it, was to be very intentional and very um, try and live in the moment with intention. And, and one of the things I did was start practicing meditation, um, which was a real absolute game changer for me. And 
I do that today and I firmly believe it. And I, I know that that's not for everybody. But what I like to say is like, I found this all the time when I was working um, at my old company, people would come in very excitedly to a meeting or run to my office and say, oh my God, I had this great idea. And they'd tell me the idea and I go, yeah, that's amazing. How did you think of that? And without fail, they will say something like, I was just in the shower and it came to me or I was sure. waking up and it came to me. So this is for many, the only time in the day when you're not thinking, right? When there's like hot, hot water coming over your, you're massaging your head with shampoo and it's just like a couple of minutes <laughs> and you're not doing it intentionally, but it's the yeah. only couple of minutes where you're like not thinking, right? So for me, that's the time where, and it's such a clear uh, case, successful case study where it's like when you are not all up in your schedule and the to-do list and all that stuff where this voice can emerge, right? The answers can emerge, but you can only do that if you are intentional about reducing the chaos. So whether you are into meditation or that's not your thing, um, it is incumbent, it is imperative that you find your hot shower and you do that with extreme discipline every day. And I don't, mm -hmm. there's a water shortage in California, so I don't want everybody going in for 20 minutes running their water, but metaphorically, yeah. one must find their, to access the inner voice, which I believe everybody has, you need to silence everything else around you so that that voice can be heard, right? I mean- right. Very clear, very yeah. clear. Now, one of the principles, I would say foundational cornerstone principles that you introduced in How to Get Shit Done that really got my attention, and I want to talk to you about it, mm. is- when we take 100% responsibility for our lives, this leads to 100% freedom. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to understand more that connection. Like, I think I understand the idea of taking 100% responsibility mm -hmm. for everything that's happening, I think. Mm -hmm. But I don't get how that leads to 100% freedom. Well, because... you. Then once you take responsibility for your action, and this actually, this concept really bleeds up into the other book as well. And I'll talk about that in a second. It's that you are not beholden to anybody, right? When you give somebody the power of responsibility over something in your life or some, your actions or your success, then what you do is you give them some ownership over that, which they're not even necessarily taking, right? Like literally taking, but you're giving that away. So in order to be able to operate freely, you need to not give away those little pieces of power. And that's, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive because when you think about owning failures and uh, owning things that you're less proud of or owning challenges that you don't want to assign your own, it feels like, I think that the general vibe or feeling on that is that you're admitting weakness or something. But what you're really doing is saying, even though it wasn't the best outcome, I own that, right? I own that part of my narrative. And so every time you can carve that out, regardless of what the outcome is, you're kind of accumulating real estate, if you want, your own energetic real estate. And so I think the idea is to flip the script on what it means to fail or what it means to of course, you want to feel, I'm not, I want to be clear when I say, I'm not trying to have a rosy uh, opinion of failure, right? I want you to feel the pain. I want you to feel the disappointment. I want you to feel the hurt. And then I want you to be, create, uh, give it a teachable moment. And the only way you can really do that is if you own it. Otherwise, it's somebody else's lesson to learn, right? Whoever you're attaching blame to. And so you have a lot more freedom to operate, to move, to pivot, to grow when you, when you, 
when you truly understand your responsibility and your ownership over everything that's going on in your life. That's not to say, you know, asterisk or caveat, like if something terrible has been done to you, that I'm not suggesting you have ownership over that, right? But as they say, you cannot control what is happening to you, you can control how you react to it. And so I think that that's where the ownership piece comes in, right? Don't give away, throw your hands up and give away that power. Um, yeah, that's what I'd say on that. I don't know if that answers yeah. the questions exactly. Yeah, it does. And I, I think it's interesting that in a way, there's a connection between your first book, How to Get Shit Done, where you're really helping people say, you know, I'm going to take responsibility for my schedule, for right. what I prioritize, for right. what I put my time and energy in. And now with your new book on friendship, I'm going to take responsibility for the quality of my friendship mm -hmm. life. Right. And I'm curious how your attention turned and you thought, you know, this is the next big topic I want right. to tackle. Yeah. So it's funny because when I was thinking about, I was thinking about what, what am I going to write as a follow-up to the first book? And so I really, this whole foray into friendship started very oddly as a foray into, again, feminine productivity and productivity with, you know, in the, it, with a very specific female lens. And so I wasn't thinking about friendship when I started this. I was thinking about how can I do that book 2.0. And the first book, 2.0. And then, but as I sort of was going down that rabbit hole, I kept bumping up against, not consciously, but relationship stuff. And like, and then again, not consciously. And I actually was actively working on a different concept for the, for the second book. I put the whole pitch together. My agent kept being very supportive, but lukewarm on it. It was like, ah. Like, you know, not that the the feeling you want, you want to have where it's like, this is a home run, you know, the kind of cheerleading that agents usually do. And I just, it could, I loved the idea and I just couldn't, I just couldn't really get the reaction. And so I was going in a different direction. And that's why I say unconsciously, I was bumping up against this relationship stuff. I finally put the whole thing together and was about to go out and, and pitch it. And I woke up. I, I, again, so I kind of referenced this before, I woke up at like six in the morning, kind of like half asleep, half awake. And this, I, the title of the book just came to me. And I was like, I sat up and I was like, what is that about? And the whole morning, I just was kind of kept coming back to this. What is this topic? How to break up with your friend? I've never thought about anything like this before. And then it started to, I had kept the all day started to have this aha moment. And it, it, it really, came to me like if we're talking about productivity and specifically you know female productivity where i my you know as you know my hypothesis is that we're trying to do way too much and therefore accomplishing way too little as far as it really it, meaningful stuff for us and it's it's this flashlight started to be shone on the fact of like i think we have this incredibly untapped resource in our friendships, in these very unique relationships that are not, uh, you know, familial, they're not romantic. Um, there's so much power there. And yet we pay so little attention to them in a way like we're always talking about our friends and friends always appear on shows and in movies. But 
if you think about it clinically or therapeutically, you know, there's individual therapy, there's couples therapy, there's family therapy, but these very important relationships receive a lot less um, observation, thought, um, auditing. And so I, that's how I kind of started on that. And I was like, wow, this is a really untapped resource for energy. And of course, energy is, I think, the cornerstone of true productivity, right? When you're firing and all, you know, everything's working together. Um, and so, it, yeah, in a very odd way, I consider this, uh, if not the twin sister or it, it, a cousin to that productivity um, conversation that I started with the first book. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that the title came to you in a type of intuitive flash. I know when I heard the title, How to Break Up with Your Friends, I thought to myself, I need that. I need help with that. Mm -hmm. And just confessionally for a moment, I think I've had friendships end and I don't think I've done a very good job. <sighs> and probably a lot of people when they hear a title like that, How to Break Up with Your Friends, might have that same thing come up for them. And you know, I know uh, it's a source of a lot of pain Yeah, to think that I kind of weaseled my way out of certain friendships right. or just sort of disappeared and what happened? I don't know. I never, never had the courage or didn't right. quite know how to say to the person, wow, I don't find you interesting anymore. Right. I'm not quite sure how to say that. Right. So I, I wonder if you can talk uh, some about that, just even the the pain that comes up for people mm -hmm. when they are struck by the title. Yeah, it's been so, it's been so uh, really unbelievable because I've had two polar opposite reactions and consistently. And the first one is much like what you just said, like, oh my God, yes. It's like, you read my mind. Like this is, I need this. I'm going, you know, I need to get out of these things. Or I've, you just like you said, I've had some experiences in the past, which have just not been great and whatever. And then there's been the other reaction, which has been like, break up with my friends. I'm so isolated. I haven't seen anybody. I, I, I need to understand how to make friends, like I, I break up. I'm trying to acquire more friends. And so the first thing that I want to say is that while the title of the book is how to break up with your friends, there's one chapter really dedicated to how to break up with your friends. There are nine chapters on how to really do friendship a lot better and a lot more intentionally than up until now, I believe we've been doing them because I believe the power of good friendships is so untapped and so untold. I just think more now than ever, we really need this kind of support and network because uh, frankly, I'm just seeing us kind of get crushed under the weight of what has happened over the last two years. And I think we're going to see the fallout from that just keep kind of escalating, not to be a downer, but this is a big kind of collective psychological trauma we've all kind of gone through together. And um, I'm also seeing so much partner pressure, right? Because like your romantic partner Sure. It, as Esther Perel says, which I think is brilliant, is just like in modern day couples, the partner now is everything to the other person, right? They're, they're, they're the lover, they're the homemaker, they're doing yoga lessons together, they're doing, you know, sure. they're just, just so enmeshed. And that's really not sustainable, right? And so I think even for our own romantic, coming out of like work from home and just the craziness of, you know, romantic partnership in this two years, last two years, even for that front, it is so important to be able to conscientiously say, I have this friend 
this is what this friend gives me. This is what I give this friend. This is what this relationship gives me. And now I don't need to have this on the shoulders of my romantic partner. And this is what this friend does for me. And, and so you start to compartmentalize, which I know feels calculated, but I, I don't know a better way to say it other than I think we need to stop having our romantic partners be everything. It's just a crushing weight, right? And, and being received as a crushing weight as well. Like it's, I feel like it's really taking the magic and the mystery and the everything you would really, you know, single out as something that was a romantic relationship is kind of being taken by the sheer weight of of the pressure that that these relationships now have. You know, uh, one of the authors we work with, his name's Stan Tatkin, Mm -hmm. who's a relationship expert. Mm -hmm. He talks about how your your intimate partner is really your survival partner. Right. And I think during the pandemic, we really, we feel that, like you're you're my survival person here. Right. Now you uh, recommend that people do a type of I use this phrase, taking stock in mm-hmm. our conversation or an audit or an inventory, yeah, if you will, right. of our the state of friendship in my life. Right. How do I do that? What am I looking for? What am I auditing? Well, I mean, I think you want to, first of all, just kind of take a, a snapshot or a list of the people that are you either think are omnipresent or are omnipresent that you feel some sort of responsibility towards and them you. And then literally, you know, just kind of like I did in the first book, uh, where I ask, I talk about a seven day time challenge where people write down almost literally everything they're doing every single day for seven days, and then hold that up against the list of the three big goals they actually want to achieve and see how far off the mark they are. Um, I ask people to literally kind of write down everybody that is in their life that they would consider a friend. And then start to look at how they feel, how you feel about them and, and what comes up for you when you, I, I talk about this litmus test, like when you see X, Y, and Z's number come up on your phone, what's your immediate reaction? Are you ecstatic that they're calling? Are you relieved they're calling? Are you irritated they're calling? Look at that, right? Because that's all information. And the reason I suggest to write these things down, of course, is because once it's black and white, I feel like there's a responsibility there that you can't quite ignore, right? When you see what you've written down on a piece of paper or, or typed into a computer. So I think the first starting point is just literally taking an inventory of who is in your life and then start taking an inventory of the way you sort of feel about them, right? Like just on a basic level. Um, and then you start saying, looking at yourself and saying, now, what do I actually need in my life? What am I looking for in my life? And who line, who aligns with that, right? Who, who feels, what relationship feels like something that will nurture you and help support you? And I always say this goes two ways and you it, I'm not going to keep saying that, but I, I mean this very much as a two way street when I'm saying, you know, the relationship with the other person. Um, and start to be really, uh, again, intentional about, hey, there's only so many hours in the day, right? And I talk about a lot of the science in the book about like, you know, what experts think, like, what is the maximum amount of really good friends you could have, right? What is the minimum amount of really good friends you should have um, in terms of like overall health and well-being and all of all of kind of the physiology, physio- physiological benefits to friendship. And so 
really start putting together a profile. And then a lot of the work is looking at yourself and start and saying, now, what role do I play in these friend in, in these friendships? What does that say about me? Do Am I comfortable in that role? Or is it just something I've kind of been zoned in, channeled into, right? And start saying, how do I want to be actively in these friendships? And how much time can and should I commit to all of them? And so you really, it's, 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 you really just start doing the work of kind of laying out the landscape of actually what's going on in your life, much like you would, I mean, I know this sounds callous, but much like you would do in a, in a closet clean out, right? And so you hold the, okay, now what is in here? I can't even see half the stuff that's in here because I have so many sweaters piled up. I don't even, you know, there's ones in the back. There's Take it all out and start to say, now, what is this for? Do I have a use for this? Is this valuable? Is this is this from, does this fit me from another time or does it still look good on me? You know, it's that mm -hmm. kind of thing. And again, I use that very lightly metaphorically because Pete, these relationships are much more valuable than an all crumpled shirt, of course. But I think that the methodology about it and the approach to it is quite similar in the sense that you don't know what you have until you've taken it all out, right? And taken a really critical look at it. Right. Now you write in the book, we've accepted mediocrity mm -hmm. in ourselves and in our friendships mm -hmm. for far too long. And I, you know, can imagine people doing an audit like this and I, you know, did it in my head mm -hmm. and you discover, as you described in the closet, you mm -hmm. know, these things that it's easy if you're like, this is a big yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also easy or right. easier if yeah, it's yeah. like a clear, like, no. Yeah. 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 But then you have this large <laughs> mediocre category right. <laughs> and uh, it's not that obvious what to do about it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, totally. And, and I think, for me, I think just, just the unwrapping, the exposing of the mediocrity is, is, is half the battle, right? And, and again, you don't want to do any kind of knee jerk, like, as I say, I think something like in the book, this isn't about going through your contacts with a machete, right? It's not like, bah, she bores me or whatever, right? It's, it is really being thoughtful about these people. And Maybe it's just about instead of grouping everybody as your friend, um, grouping them, you know, certain people depends where they are in a different category and, and identifying this is a person that I'm fine if I see once a year. And that is my expectation on this person. And if that expectation feels reasonable to that other person, if you either talk to them or guess that that feels like that's where the rhythm is, perfect. Now you've put that person in that category. And so it's like, it's the exact kind of thing. I mean, at least that I do in my closet where I'm like, oh, those funny stockings that I definitely don't want to get rid of, but they sure can't hold a lot of real estate because I'm going to use them maybe once a year for a holiday party, right? And so I put them away in the closet. I know they're there. I'm conscious of that relationship, but I'm not spending a ton of time on it. And I think just the act of organizing yourself in that way mentally frees up a lot of energy and energy that then you can give to people that you've identified like, wow, I still really feel great about this person, but I'm not, you know, because I don't see her all the time. When we do get together, we spend so much time catching up on, you know, kind of life admin stuff as opposed to like really connecting. I'm going to use some of the energy that I freed up, um, you know, just putting other friends in their right kind of categories. I'm going to use that energy and really say, I'm going to make a 
bigger effort to see this person instead of every, you know, six months, I want to see this person once a month, I'm going to make that effort. And instead of then having to catch up on like life admin stuff, you can really connect and say what's going on for you and hang out with that person in a real way, as opposed to like, you know, I've just got a limited amount of time and a limited, limited amount of energy. And so, you know, I've got an hour for you every six months. And so you mm-hmm. can, I, I think to get the most out of these relationships, the ones that are really worth fostering, you have to make the commitment and the time commitment. And that's one of the hardest things to do, because when life gets busier, when life gets crazy, it feels like, at least for me, the first thing I would do in my old kind of life is like, oh, uh, drink with a friend, that's out, because I've got the da 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 And that is, I feel like a mistake. I feel like now, after I've done this work and this kind of experiment, it's like, no, 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 that's not going to be my default setting, because it's not just about seeing a friend and having fun. This is a chance to rejuvenate. This is a chance to connect. This is a chance to, you know, fill up my coffers again. And so that won't be the first thing that comes off my list. I want to really look and say, is there another way I can find the time for this person? Because I, I'm consciously made the commitment to this relationship. We renewed the vows of this relationship. Yeah. I, I want to talk to you about that a little bit more because I imagine you're a really busy person. You're a mom. Very busy. You're a digital entrepreneur. You're, you know, just uh, launching this book now. I mean, a lot, a lot going on as someone who's also a busy person. Yes. I feel, and also, I don't know about you, but I'm very introverted. Yeah, I'm well. very introverted. So, so that's another thing yeah. that I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you about. Like in general, mm-hmm. I don't get energy from people. Right, right, right. I get energy. I get energy from being alone. Right. Uh, and being with like animals and trees and right. rocks and things like that, <laughs> right. but not humans right. talking. Right, right, you know? right. Uh, and so given busy person, introverted, uh, no, I'm not going to reach out, even though with certain people, it is nourishing. Right. So how do you get through that and then say, oh, no, this is really worth it? Well, I think that's the thing. I think, and I think you hit on a really great part. And, and I talk about this in the book. The first thing is to know yourself and to really understand who you are, what you're made of, and kind of what your profile is. Because as an introvert, like you are, you know that you have probably very firm boundaries around how you're going to spend your time and with whom, right? Because you, like me, again, like I'm totally depleted when I see a lot of people or there's a lot of action externally, you know, outside of the house. And so I feel much better when I'm in my house and calm and quiet. Um, But so that's the first part is just knowing because I feel like a lot of people, you know, say I'm an introvert, I'm an extrovert, but don't really understand how that then uh, metabolizes in their life and how that plays out. Right. So I think it's important to know, are you somebody that needs the attention in a good way? I'm saying like thrives on the energy of other people, or are you somebody that needs a lot of downtime and self-reflection? So that's the first thing. So the thing with introverts is though, I find that a lot of them will still have friends. I I mean, even if this is true of me, even today, constantly asking me to do things. So then I'm constantly put in this position of where I have to say, turn them down, turn them down, right? Which doesn't feel good either. So it's about kind of managing. And so if you have that under control, if people know that about you and they know, well, I'm not going to invite Tammy to this dinner because even though we feel we're very fond of one another, she's going to probably say no. And I don't want to be in the position where I'm constantly getting rejected. So I think in that case, that's what it's, it's important to really pay attention to. 
Um, but even if you're an introvert, I do think, I mean, at least at, at least at all the science that I looked at, that physiologically, psychologically, from a stress perspective, engagement with other humans and companionship is very important. And it doesn't have to be a bajillion people. For an introvert, maybe it's one or two, right? But it has to be kind of consistent and that there has to be a kind of omnipresent feeling that you have these relationships that are valuable in your life. And so again, what that where whatever number you land on, only you can answer what the right number is. Um, but there is a number, I would say. I would say, and look, just you knowing that you love interacting with dogs and out in nature is 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 great, but that is probably 50 steps ahead of most people that I talk to. They're completely unaware of what makes them tick and what makes them happy. It's it's a lot of people out there with wheels spinning, right? So just to get down to, okay, let's talk about you. This is a book about friendship, but let's talk about you. This is the most important starting point, right? So that kind of self-work is crucial uh, to being a good friend of any kind, is to be a good friend to yourself and to understand what you're made of and, and, and what you need. Because then only then can you communicate that to others, right? Mm -hmm. Now, this other point that you brought up had to do with having a certain kind of intentionality mm -hmm. with our friends. Like, mm -hmm. this is someone I really value, so I'm going to work on this right. friendship. I'm going to invest in this right. friendship. And one of the things you point out is that we're very comfortable knowing that our intimate relationship is going to take work. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to go right. through all kinds of hard stuff. Totally. And, you know, it's, you know, it's the crucible, totally. it's, you know, the, the greatest spiritual work there is, whatever. Right. And people have the sense too, that parenting mm -hmm. is going to be tough and you're, but I think there's an idea. And I think I've had this idea that friendship should be my like easy refuge. I shouldn't mm -hmm. have to work on it. I right. shouldn't have to be intentional about it. It should just like magically kind of happen. Right. But what you're saying is why won't we work on friendship the same way we work on these other relationships in our lives? Right. And that's and yeah, exactly. And that's kind of why I say when I talk about us do the doing friendships in a mediocre way, it that's kind of what I mean is that there is such a lower expectation or higher, I guess, expectation that these should just be kind of flawless, floaty relationships that give, 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 and never ask anything of us. And that is not real that's not part of the human spectrum right i mean it can, nothing can just be all kind of good even all good would become bad at a certain point because you need that kind of yin to the yang and i think humans are complex uh you know challenging people that are if doing things right are constantly kind of evolving right and with that change comes friction it comes it in relationship it comes um, if you're, if you're having a real relationship, there are going to be times when you don't agree with somebody or if somebody's hurt your feelings or, or you just don't feel like you're jibing. And yet I don't feel like there's any kind of language or any kind of, you know, blueprint for how you kind of navigate through these relationships. And so by taking, by understanding that conflict will be part of them, right? We, we kind of like, oh, well, what? this is weird. Like I'm not dating this person. So why am I going to say like, I have these expectations and stuff. It kind of feels weird. But at the same time, if you want a really rich, fruitful relationship, um, that's the only way to get there. 
is to be real and then to deal with the kind of fallout from being real with people, right? And um, I think by then also getting through conflicts, the relationship becomes stronger. Or if you can't manage the conflicts, you start to understand, okay, this might not be the right relationship for me any longer, right? So mm-hmm. these are really good like guideposts when you come up against conflict. And I, I think especially for women, it's just much more difficult to say what you want and say what you need and kind of demand that you get it. And especially then from another woman, it just like becomes a very complex thing. Um, and I don't want to generalize, but I, you know, when I, when I looked around at my relationships with my male friends, or when I look at my, like my brother's male friendships, it, it conflict is happens all the time, but not in a bad way. So if people say, Hey, you, you like when I'm dealing with, you know, some of my guy friends, if they irritate me, I just say it. I said, Hey, that's not cool. Stop doing that. And they either go, Oh, whoa, I didn't realize that our, no, actually this is why I'm doing it. And we just kind of get through it. And there's nothing really still hanging. There's no, the wheels aren't still spinning about like, I wonder what he meant by that. Or it's just kind of like addressed and we move on. And yet when I was looking back at my female friendships, I just saw how many times I talked myself out of saying when something was bothering me or upsetting me. And I'd spin all these different narratives of what could happen or what she could be thinking or what this might look like if I say it like this. And am I taking into her? There's all this other stuff that takes so much energy as opposed to just saying, hey, this is the way I feel. And I wanted to share that with you because you it's important and you need to hear this, right? And there's such a clearer way, I think, to get the other side of conflict. We just need to start talking about it and looking at these relationships, as you said, in a different way than rather, well, friendships should just kind of be. And, and, and if we want to get the most out of them, we really have to be active in them. Mm-hmm. Now, you you bring up this notion that I've heard about from the world of couples therapy, where rupture and repair is really valuable. We have to be willing to do that Mm -hmm. for our intimate relationships to grow stronger. How do we apply that to friendship? And importantly, what are the skills? What are the skills we need to do that with a friend? Right. So yeah, I... I'm also an associate psychotherapist. So there's a, there is, there are some, certainly some ideas from couples therapy and just therapy in general in the book and rupture and repair, I think is one of the most important things in therapy. Right. And usually that means that the, the, the client or the patient has, uh, has some sort of conflict with the therapist, right? So the therapist has let them down or said something that they felt were inappropriate or, you know, whatever. And the idea is, that if you can work through that and say what you really mean and and say you know you hurt me and this is you know this is a problem for me and here's why and that you can you that's actually an opportunity in therapy because then you can work through that conflict together and come out on the other side much stronger and i truly believe the same thing should apply within within friendships right so I think one of the things that even in therapy what how that would have to work right is that the client or the patient has to, at some point, either allude to or say directly, I'm having a problem with you and here's why. Or their behavior has to be such where the therapist, if they're paying attention, says, okay, something shifted here, what's going on? And then, but ultimately that that client or patient has to be honest and say, this is what you did and this is why I'm upset and, or this is what's really bothering me. And this exact same thing is true, I think, in friendships. Is the, the starting point is, realizing you're upset 
and being able to communicate that in a clear way to the other person and then have them bounce off that and take it from there, right? But the idea is to not run from conflict because when you're running from conflict or putting, you know, pushing it down, you're either, you're not being true to your feelings, but what can often happen is that's when you start to become numb and indifferent and, and indifferent to the relationship. And this doesn't happen in one foul swoop. This is the little incremental things that build distance and distance and distance because what you're doing by pushing your feelings down and not addressing them is kind of self-numbing. The problem with that is then you become numb to the good stuff as well as the bad. And that's when that's when the divide becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. Or you push it down, you push it, put it down, push it down, and then it comes out in a way that's not controlled right? And then oftentimes something that is kind of small to begin with becomes this big thing because you've been repressing this thing and then it comes out and it's like, and you did this. And the person doesn't understand why you're so upset because the reaction does not match the, you know, the infraction, right? So the best way, and it, it's not easy. Like it's definitely, and I talk about an, an experiment I did in my own relationship in the, in the book. I had this problem with this friend who was constantly late. And in Los Angeles, that's, you know, that's kind of a thing, you know, because there's so much driving. But it was only to a certain point. And this person was chronically, chronically late. And I loved everything else about her. But this thing, instead of me just addressing it, right, became this big thing for me. Every time we would meet, I would start, you know, just be bubbling up, watching my clock every, you know, she's five minutes late, she's 10 minutes late. So when it did finally come out, and I, I talk about this in the book, uh, it was, it felt like such, and she could not understand what was going on because I was just so infuriated. And it was just the result of a buildup of months and months, if not probably years, right, of me just getting really, really upset that this person was always, are, are always late. And I felt so disrespected. But instead of just bringing it up at the time and saying, hey, listen, this is, I really, love you and I really respect and want this friendship, but this is a need for me. I, you cannot show up, you know, 30 minutes late. You know, this is really upsetting to me. Just, instead of being frank about it at the time, I let it build up. And then it was a real problem when I did bring it up because, I, I, you know, she, she was very caught off guard and, um, so it didn't go well in the end it did, but uh, it did, it, it felt like it was coming off the rails for most of the, for most of the thing, because I also didn't like, then we were, we spent a lot of time debating or, uh, talking about my reaction as opposed to the, the being late. <laughs> so I kept trying to, you know, I started to feel pretty attacked because I was like, how are we, how are we talking about me right now? You know? And see, so anyways, but we got it back on track. But the point of that is, is that that whole thing is unnecessary, right? And it's not that big of a, punctuality is a big thing to me, but it doesn't need to be like this big growing resentment against someone I otherwise really appreciate and respect and, and, and like in my life. So. Mm -hmm. I can think of so many difficult conversations that. Yeah friendships need to go through. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I told you that I have this uh, residual guilt and terrible feeling about uh, how to break up with your friends yes. in the wrong way. Yeah. Okay. And I think the conversation I didn't know how to have is, I don't want to spend a lot of time with you. I just want to see you like once a year. Right. And I didn't know how to say that right. to someone. Right. And I still don't really know how to say that to someone 
how do you say that kind of thing to someone? Right. Well, I would say in that example, I would, I would start this out. I mean, if this is a person that generally you like and general, gen, generally you value yeah. and respect. So it's not a case of like, you've been wronged or, you know, they're doing something right. So nothing like that. Right is I would just have a conversation about expectations and say, I really, I really like you. I really value you. Um, I want to be connected to you, but where I'm at, I just want to manage the expectation that I would love to see you. Um, you know, I don't know if you want to be so literal as once a year, but to say like, I I just want to be clear where I'm at and, and expectations. And I hope it, hold on. Let me, I need another piece of information. Sorry. I got to back up. So with this person, are they constantly trying to have plans with you? Yes. Okay. So that's so right. So then I and would, also it's a historic friendship. This is from a previous time in my life right. okay, and okay. it's a friendship that had a level of closeness, right? But there was a feeling as we got involved with different marriage partners that right. I just felt there wasn't really the the same kind of draw connection right right yeah the magnetism kind of faded and it felt more obligatory and then I disappeared (laughs) okay and she he or she keeps trying to for a period but then I you know I think I used the contemporary word no ghosted Ghosted. the person okay yeah so are you asking what you should have done differently or do you want that person back I don't necessarily really want the relationship back because right. I'm so protective over my time and right. I'm not trying to make this overly focused on me. No, no, I love I'm, this. I'm trying I to ask a, I, I'm trying to ask a question that I think may come up for a lot of right. people, I think. And also because it I carry it as a wound. Right. And I think if I'd handled it differently there wouldn't be that sense of that wound still being there. Right. But it's like how you change the intimacy level mm-hmm, right. in a friendship when it's no longer nourishing you. Right. I then would exactly, it just exactly what you just said, I would say, and I don't know if this is in your case, because I just don't know the rhythm of the relationship. If this is a phone call or if this is an email, either is better than ghosting, in my opinion, unless you unless you think that the other person just absolutely cannot handle it, it would be shattered to receive this information. But generally, that's just not true of people, right? I, so in this case, I would probably write an email and say everything that you just said, which is, you know, you were a very, very valuable person to me for a long, long time. Our lives have gone in, a sl- in different courses for whatever, you know, different marriage partners, different whatever. And as such, I feel like there is a chasm that has grown between us. But that is not to say that I do not respect the time that we've had together. What it is to say is just to manage expectations moving forward that I, are you actually going to send this? <laughs> I'm not sure yet. Okay. It is. Um, so I think the important thing is that you will always carry the bulk of the relationship very fondly in your heart. Many lessons learned that I just want to be upfront with you because of the way our lives have evolved. I feel like we have separated in a way that makes me feel, uh, anxious or less inclined to keep up the rhythm of the friendship. And the more that I try to do that, 
the more I start to feel angst or resentment. And so I felt I owe it to you to let you know that while this is certainly not a thing where it's like, I'm not friends with this person, I just want to manage the expectation that I would love to see you ever so every so often. But I think we need to adjust the cadence of the friendship so your feelings don't get hurt and so and and so and so that I don't feel bad. Right. And I, I, it's important for me to let you know how important you have been in my life. Um, but time to change. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a general question. What do you feel about the whole category of kind of making amends when it comes to previous friendships? Um, in the sense of you get back together with that person or, or you apologize or. Yeah. You apologize, confess, I, I share like that. more. I think anytime that you can have honesty and clarity and kind of speak your truth. And I think that while that might be painful to some people, uh, so many people for the, for the, that I interviewed for the book who had stories where they had been ghosted, the constant, the constant theme was, and I'm still thinking about it today. What happened? What did I do? What did I? And so these questions, again, if we want to talk about bringing it back to what we were saying right at the beginning about this energy, you don't really under, we don't really understand, you know, we because we're not thinking about this stuff all the time. But how quickly when they started think, you know, talking about it, oh, and then they're right back in it. And it's like the hard drive is still spinning. We just don't know it. Right. And so in terms of like taking back some of the energy, I think it's it's great to number one, reveal these things. And number two, I think it's an invaluable gift, even if it's hard or difficult or whatever, to have make amends, to have clarity, to be honest, because so many people, even though on a day-to-day basis, aren't like, I wonder what happened there. The second you tap into it, it's like a lie. It's like it went nowhere. Like it, it, at least in the, it, with the women that I interviewed, they, you know, the people that have been ghosted were really like, they got back into the emotionality and it was like, they were almost reliving it real time. So I think that kind of clarity, like even if I think about them receiving an email or a call, I feel like they would be like, oh, ah, okay, and could have some closure on something. And I think for the person that is sending the email or, or making the amends, what it, I, I think it's a great teachable moment, a great learning moment. I think you've done a service to, to the relationship right? That relationship never is not still existing. But I think that's paying kind of homage to the relationship. And so I think even if the message you're delivering is bittersweet, I think the guiding energy there is respect for what you what you once had. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Erin. Okay. Uh, in describing your new book, you write, the essence of this book is a love letter to the relationships that have the potential to be foundational and enduring and endearing if we do them right. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know more what you mean by that, if we do them right. What does it mean to do these friendships that we really want to invest in Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Well, I think it means, first of all, you know, as, as I said a little bit before, the starting point of doing friendship right is really understanding who you are and where you, where you are and what you need and what you want. That's the first, that's the first thing move you can make to do, then have any relationship kind of flow or provide value. And then the second thing is to, you know, I think one of the biggest things that I'm seeing now is just how distracted we are. You know, we've got, there's just so much chaos and noise, right? And so making the choice 
to be present with the people you've identified that really matter and are meaningful to you. It's better to schedule, you know, 30 minutes with somebody and not have your phone in the mix and just connect than have a two hour drinks dinner, but you're scrolling through your phone, you're talking to seven different people. So I think being really intentional and really, really listening, really paying attention, not to just what's being said, but the nonverbal cues and really kind of leaning into the camaraderie that can come with friendship. And I think just making choices, I think just making the choices of this person and or this relationship and this relationship and this relationship in and of itself is such a powerful move as opposed to like, I feel like friendships we just kind of let happen to us again because we don't take ownership because we don't delve into the conflict to to the real depths of what they can be they're just kind of things washing over us and i think to do friendship right we have to be as active and as intentional as we can in them and by doing that uh then necessarily you can't have a hundred friends right because you just not 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 that core group of friends so you've got to be really kind of just Um, aware, intentional, and making choices around who you want in life. And that is so empowering, right? Um, So that's what I would say about doing friendship right. And then what you need from those relationships and what you're giving, that's, that's, that's very personal to you and then the other person in that relationship. But I think the starting point is yourself. And then the second point is just to take action, make choices, be strip the chaos away when you're interacting with these friendships, because that's where you can really get to the the juice, the heart, the gold, the magic, whatever. But underneath that kind of surface of all my friends is a real, I think, pot of gold. In the book, you include a, a friend questionnaire that yeah. you can go through with your friend yeah. as a way to talk yeah. and dialogue deeper about your friendship. And here was one of the, I thought, uh, fall off your chair, laugh moments for me, you write uh, right before you get to the questionnaire, my advice is to do this and then go out for a drink, not the other way around. (laughs) I thought that was really funny. I was imagining myself uh, drinking first. uh, That's not, this is not going to go well. Uh, But you know, you, you have these questions to talk about. And I thought I'd just bring up a couple because I like that. Sure. When was the last time I irritated you? and you didn't say anything? And why didn't you say anything? And I thought, oh my goodness. If, uh, <laughs> if I were really to answer that correctly, and then who knows what I would hear back. So uh, tell me, have you done this with friends and I, how did it work? How I did literally, it go? <laughs> what was so funny is that, so I interviewed all these people for the book, some friends, some experts, you know, the whole, this whole, this whole group. And right you know, right as I was coming to the end of writing the book, I realized I hadn't interviewed or talked to my real best friend, Sophie. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this with Sophie. And so we kind of, again, like it, you know, it was real time learnings on the spot, right? I came up with these ideas. She came over to my house. She could kind of plop down. She was eight and a half months pregnant. And funny enough, we had had an alt, kind of an, a tense moment, like I want to say, like four or five months before that. That was not; it did not involve me directly. It involved her and my husband got into a little thing, like sure. whatever. Yeah. And 
they both immediately called me and I kind of was in the middle of doing writing my thesis actually. And I was like, I just, I'm not going to be a part of this for even one second, figure it out yourself. And so we had a little dust up and things were tense for maybe like a week after that. And then we never really talked about it. And I thought that was fine because I had said clearly, I don't want to have anything to do with this. But so when we sat down to do this, uh, this questionnaire and I'd kind of forgotten about that, um, that that thing, that thing that happened when, when we, that question came up, when was something the last yeah. time I, you know, did or said something that irritated you and you didn't say anything and why not? That's what she brought up. And I was like, and so we went into this whole thing about that, you know, that thing that had happened. And it was unbelievable because it, it revealed so, so much. And it, it just unbelievable when you sweep something, you know, under the rug, how much there can be be beneath it. And I was so thankful that we had sat down and talked about this because we really got to the bottom of some stuff. And I, I felt so warm and and when we were finished doing it, I mean, we obviously worked through that conflict, but I felt so reinvigorated by the relationship. I felt a great sense of love for her. And it was just, these are all great things, right? These are great things to feel, especially in the middle of a crappy pandemic. So but yeah, it was tense. Like it got a little tense. I was sweating. Like I was literally. Oh yeah. No, when I read these questions, I, I was sweating. sweating. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of them. Are there subjects you feel like you just can't discuss with me? <laughs> oh yeah. Is there anything <laughs> about you that I don't know that you want me to know? I mean, to answer these questions, you have to really take a lot of time yeah. and space and then be willing to share right. in a very deep way. Yeah, totally. Is there anything you need or want from me that you're not getting? I don't know if I want to ask my friends that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> They're going to have a list, you know? Do I want to hear that? Is there anything you need or want from me that you're not getting? Whoa. Yeah, what I realized is that that you're looking for a kind of, uh, this is really a depth of yeah. relationship yeah. that you're saying that's possible for people in their right. friendships. You can go this deep. Right. Totally. And again, I, 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 this is not, you're not going to do this with like, you know, your casual sure, sure. friend. This is for like that core, you know, your kind of ride or dies, like, you know, two or three people depends, you know, how introvert or extroverted you are, but you know, that number is going to be pretty, pretty small. Um, and so, but yeah, I do think it's possible. And I do think it's, I do think it's worthy. And as, and as I said, like, I think, you know, just doing it with my own best friend um, and again, we are fairly conflict free. So it's not like this was a really loaded situation where we're walking into this saying, let's sit down and talk about this. We've got a lot of built up resentments. This is a, a relationship that's going pretty, pretty good, you know, except, you know, the, the odd dust up here or there, but, but it was really revealing and really, um, I think, I think what I would say about it the most is just the, the, that we would be so honest and vulnerable, the answers are important. But it is the connection when you're being that honest with somebody that at the end of it, that's the only thing, like that's what I was left feeling with, this 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 energy from the connection of just really going there with somebody that you you care about and and love. And I think that, that that's kind of where you want to get. And it's it can be uncomfortable, but it also is just, it can be great. You know, and I think I think that's where you kind of want to go to to tap into these these friendships to really 
make them mean something. Yeah. Yeah. Just to conclude, Aaron, when you imagine the tens of thousands of humans who will be reading how to break up with your friends, establishing new boundaries for modern relationships, what are the most important things that you want people to get out of the book? I think probably, and, and I would say this is maybe even true of my first book, is this idea of really at a granular level getting to a deeper understanding of who you are I think this is where kind of all the the richness lies. I think this is how you tap into your creativity. Um, I think this is how you fill up your energy is this deeper understanding of who you are and then understanding how much more even profound that can be when you connect with people in an intentional, meaningful way. And I think, again, there is such there is such freedom and there's so few boundaries on what friendships can be, you know, as opposed to like a fam familiar relationship or a romantic relationship, that there's so much opportunity here that it is worth exploring. And I think the more you reveal and the more you connect with others, the more you reveal about yourself and can connect to yourself. And so this is, even though this is a book about friendship, it is it is still fundamentally a book about understanding and uncovering deeper parts of who you are and making greater sense of meaning in your own life. And then being able to impart that and share that with people as you go deeper into who you are. I've been speaking with Erin Falconer. She's the author of the new book, What Sounds True, How to Break Up With Your Friends, Establishing New Boundaries for Modern Relationships. And when you're doing that comedy thing, Erin, <laughs> shoot me a note. <laughs> shoot me a note. All right. Very good. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at resources.soundstrue.com backslash podcast. That's resources.soundstrue.com slash podcast. If you're interested, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I absolutely love getting your feedback and being connected. Sounds true. Waking up the world.